Well, the question before us is this. <clears throat> Guilty. Someone's shouting it out. Good. That's, a, that's good. Question before us is this. Why is there so much more hostility than humility in the world? The exact question would be this. Why is there not more humility than hostility in the church? Now, we all live in the same world, don't we? <clears throat> I mean, we all are out in the neighborhoods. We are all out driving the roads together. You know what it's like out there. Somebody sent me um, a... Uh, um, uh, an email thing. Uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call those? Uh, something off the internet. A list of actual bumper stickers. And one of them, I love this one. It says, cover me, I'm going to change lanes. <laughs> you know, there's just, just so much hostility. Now, it has something to do, I really believe, with our inability to respect one another and our inability to at least treat one another respectfully has everything to do with why we would do that. Remember last week I said, let's see the difference between holiness and non-holiness in the world. And part of that was to educate ourselves and part of that education was to expand our education from the what and the how. This is not especially going to be a how-to sermon this morning. From the what and the how to the why and the who. So let's talk about the why of respect and the who of respect this morning. Because in that, we will find the difference that holiness makes. If you have your scriptures with you, Turn to Luke chapter 22. And let me show you a dispute among the disciples having to do with respect. We're going to begin with verse 24 here. <clears throat> there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. Now this is about respect, isn't it? And they're... they're, 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 they're um, um, kind of elbowing, positioning themselves to be the most respected, the greatest. Now look at what Jesus says. I love this. And he said to them, you know, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Now I want you to see what he's doing right here. These are the disciples of Jesus. These are the ones who are supposed to know better. These are the ones who ought to be way further ahead in their spiritual growth. And Jesus is looking at this dispute, and he's saying, you know, boys, let's just think about this for a minute. Let's, uh, let's think about the Gentiles for the moment. Now, to a Jewish man, a Gentile was everyone who was heathen in the world. So in other words, Jesus is saying, you know what, let's take a look a minute at the heathen. And let's see how they act. And so he said, The Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them 
are called benefactors. In other words, these are the names that some of the kings took for themselves. They tried to say, you know what, if you give me authority, if you give me respect, it's to your benefit. I will be your benefactor. It'll help you out. Now, Jesus is saying, this is how the heathen act. Can you believe this? I mean, the heathen actually try to get on top of one another for respect. Can you believe that? And meanwhile, these guys are going, sinking down. In it. Why? Because Jesus is saying, in effect, there's no difference between you and them. You're doing exactly what the heathen do. If Jesus were here today and he were to exit the parking lot with you, would he see any difference in your driving and everybody else's? If he were to go out and be with you among very irritating people, would he see any difference between you and everyone else? If he were to be by your side when you really wanted to impress someone and could compare favorably with someone else who was there, would he hear any difference in what you said about that person and the heathen? That's the point. Now he goes on to this. In verse 26, he says, but not so with you. In other words, you've got to be different. You've got to be different. He says, let him who is the greatest among you. You notice here, Jesus never tries to tell somebody not to be great. He didn't go in there and make them ashamed. Oh, shame on yourself. Talking about who's going, who's going to be great. You just all be ashamed of yourselves. I mean, we do, sometimes we do that with our kids. You want to be better than your Shame on yourself. No, God put it in all of us to desire greatness. Jesus doesn't put down greatness. Jesus defines greatness. He tells us how to be great. Look at what he says. He says, the greatest among you, let him become as the youngest, as the learner. It says, and the leader as the servant. And then he goes on to say, who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Now I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to show you the companion verse to this in just a minute. The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, if we want to become respectful people, why do we want to become respectful people? And the why is because our job is to glorify God. It's not to be down here to enjoy ourselves. It's not to be down here to live just good lives. It's not to be down here just to make our own lives better. Our job as Christians is to glorify God. Now, to glorify God, we must reverence God, right? But the Bible gets very tricky here because it says in 1 John... A very interesting passage. You heard me quote this in a, in a message uh, uh, several weeks ago when I linked reverence with respect. I said to be a reverential people, we've got to be a respectful people. And I said this. The Bible says, you know, you say that you love God. This says this in 1 John. But how can you love God who you have, who have, you have not seen if you can't love your brother who you have seen? Let me rephrase that for you. 
How can we reverence God who we have not seen if we can't treat our brother who we have seen respectfully? If we can't even respect one another, do you really think we can reverence God? But yet that's our job description. So here we start not with ourselves, not with, not with whether or not we deserve respect. We start with the goal of reverencing God. Why? Because he deserves it. He's the only one who does. Turn with me, if you have your scriptures with you, to Psalm 89. <clears throat> In verses 6 and 7, Psalm 89 says this. This is just one of about a quabillion passages in the scripture that lift God so high that he is beyond doubt incomparable to anything or anyone else. Look at what it says. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? God, a God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome, the King James I like better, says reverenced above all those who are around him. So we start with this. If we want to respect people, we don't start with people. We start with God. We start with the one who truly deserves our reverence. And we say, God, I want to glorify you because you deserve it. Somebody once said to a, to a recent convert, this is, I heard this story years ago. He said, uh, um, this was about Sammy. He was kind of, the, kind of like the town idiot, and they had a re revival in the town, and Sammy came. And Sammy had always been kind of a rebel rouser. I knew somebody like this in my first church. The guy was an old carpenter, boy, and he was a hard-drinking, hard-living guy. And, boy, he went, to a, he went to a revival one time, and his life just turned around, gave his life to Christ. So that happened with Sammy. And this is decades ago when you, you've got to, um, um, after you get converted, you've got to go apply for church uh, uh, whatever, um, and you got to give your testimony. Now, we, we give our testimony here uh, to an elder just to make sure you understand what salvation is. So they were interviewing Sammy, and they said, Sammy, we want to um, um, examine you on the, on the whole concept of um, regeneration. Are you born again? And Sammy said, yeah, I am. And then the second question was, well, now, who did that? Was it you or was it God? And Sammy said, well, it's partly me and partly God. And they looked at each other like, oh, baby, he's going down the wrong road here. And they said, well, which part was yours, Sammy, and which part was God's? And Sammy said, all my life I did everything I could to oppose God and to resist his authority in my life. And the rest God did. That's, that's the point right there. You see... We're saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it by definition. Grace, our, our salvation is a gift. We're saved by grace. And so we start out with the greatness of a God who would save us even though we don't deserve it. Now take one step towards respecting one another, another step towards respecting one another. What's the next step? The next step is to say, you know what? I want to respect one another. I want to respect others. But, but they got to qualify for my respect. They either have to accomplish something or they got to be somebody who's nice to me and respects me 
or they've got to be somebody who comes across me when I'm in the right mood, or they've got to be some, you know, we've got a long list of qualifiers. Now, my question is this. Okay, so there are probably 1% of the people in your life that fit that category. What do you do with the other 99%? Because it's very clear in Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, 17, when it says this, this is an impossible task. Listen to this. It says, honor all men. Honor all people. Are you kidding me? No, it says it right here. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the government, but honor all men. Now, how in the world are we supposed to do that when most of them don't even come close to deserving honor? This is the process. First of all, you realize the grace that God's given you. And then you realize, I haven't got the ability to honor these people. I just want to, I want to nail them when they do something bad. So it's, it's not in my nature that I'm going to be able to do this. What's it going to take? It's going to take that kind of grace living in me. And that's exactly what happens when Jesus Christ comes to live in your heart. Second Peter says that we are partakers of the divine nature when we've accepted Him as Lord and Savior. And so, therefore, Jesus, not others, becomes our focus, our example. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and pioneer of our faith. And then it says that we begin to have within us that nature that then can be graceful whether or not people uh, deserve it. We can bestow that unmerited favor on other people because we have that in us that needs to give, that wants to give, that is of the nature of giving. Think about God for a minute. Think about God. Why did God make people? Why did God create us? Well, you can, you can have a couple of theories. <clears throat> Number one is the God just needed to create us because he was so lonely. I love James Weldon Johnson's poem on creation. I love how it starts, and God stepped out on space. Remember that? Remember reading that in, in, uh, in uh, uh, school? And then it comes to a place where he says, and God sat down, and he thought, and he thought, and he thought, and he thought, I'm lonely. I'll make me a man. Now, I want to tell you, that's beautiful language, lousy theology. Because what you have is a needy God, someone that needs somebody to complete him. Now, I like nine-year-old Rachel's definition of why God made people a lot better than that. You know what she said? God was just so full of love that he made some of us so that he could get some of that out. There's the nature of God. There's the nature of God. And there is your ability to respect. It is not in what they deserve. It is not in who you are. You can't crank yourself up to be a nice enough person to respect anybody, everybody in this world. But if you have the nature of God residing in you, 
It will be something that will eventually help you treat other people respectfully. Now, why would you want to do that? Again, because our job here is to glorify God. Our job is to be to others what He has been to us. What was He to us? When you stop to think about it, Romans 5, 8, when it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who in the world are we to not respect someone else because they're a boogerhead when we were a bigger boogerhead when we got saved? Who, who among that was never a boogerhead? Oh, I was, oh, I was always a pretty good person. No, you weren't. Just, you just think you're a good person, and that makes you a bigger boogerhead than the rest of us. <laughs> that we, we've, we've got this thing where we've got to understand that God has given us this grace. And you remember the parable in Matthew 18 where, where Jesus said, you know, once upon a time, there was a guy who owed this ruler a whole bunch of money. And so he went to this ruler, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't pay. I mean, it was like a billion dollars. I don't know where I got that word. It's my favorite word now. A billion dollars. And, and I'm so sorry. And the ruler said what to him? He said, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to forgive your debt. You don't have to pay any of it. Man, he went hopping and skipping. And then on the road, he met somebody who what? Owed him some money. Oh, it wasn't even a fraction of what he owed this other guy. And what did he do? He grabbed this guy and started saying, show me the money, you know? I want that money. And the ruler said, uh, excuse me, come here for a second. After what I did for you, you can't, you can't forgive that guy his debt? What would he say to us? For when we don't treat other people respectfully, excuse me, for what I did for you, and you can't treat them respectfully? They did not do a fraction to you of what you've done for me, to me. Therefore, your job is to treat them respectfully. Now, I've got, I've got three very practical things to say to you. We have three reasons that we try to respect other people. Two of them won't work. But those two are the majority reasons why we try. Our philosophies of respect. The first one is this. I will respect those people who basically I need to respect to get ahead. I mean, let's be honest about this. All of us have authority figures in our lives, and all of us treat them very respectfully. I call this the Eddie Haskell view of respect. <laughs> you remember, some of you are old enough to remember Leave it to Beaver, you know, and there was this character in Leave it to Beaver that was always very nice to people, always very nice to the adults, you know, but when he got with the kids, he was just a regular boogerhead. And, and, and many of us use respect as a matter of political diplomacy. Don't be fooled by that. That's not respect. Another bumper sticker that, that that gal sent me was this. Diplomacy is the art of saying, nice doggy, until you can find a rock. <laughs> when you treat somebody respectfully like that, it's only until you can get enough power to be on your own. That's not respect. That's, that's raw politics. Other people say, well, you know what? The golden rule is real simple. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's the, that's the basis of respect. 
And every religion has a golden rule. Every one of them says there's a basis for respect in just treating others as you would have others treat you. Well, that is a wonderful philosophy, an absolutely wonderful philosophy. But at its very basis, it is also utilitarian. That is, it's for our, be our benefit. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if everybody treated everybody with respect? Well, the answer is yes, it would. But when it comes right down to it, there's two or three people in your life who you say, you know what, I can treat everybody else with respect, but you I want to nail. Because you're driving me crazy. I want to bring the hammer down on you. Now, what good is a philosophy if it doesn't work in every case? You know, some of you are watching uh, the, the doc new documentaries on the uh, uh, Titanic. And the latest is that the old theory was for this unsinkable ship. By the way, do you know, don't you, that the captain said before that maiden voyage, even God couldn't sink this ship. Yeah, don't ever go there. <laughs> do not ever, ever go there. So what they believed was up to this time, it's such a huge ship that, 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 that it must have run into this, this uh, uh, iceberg and just create a huge gash down the side. But from the best of what they can discover right now, it wasn't a huge gash at all. As a matter of fact, in 90,000 square feet of steel, the damage was only in about 12 square feet. Little doorway type damage. I mean, it was, in comparison, it was like little pinpricks. And little pinpricks sunk that huge vessel. What does it do if you've got this wonderful philosophy with only a few exceptions? The whole thing is no good. It goes right down to tubes. Because you start to choose when you're going to make the exceptions. And you make them more often. No, the only way, the only basis for respect is wanting to pass on from humility what God has given you. To be able to rely upon His nature in you and understand who we are. I love this story about Harry Ironside's father. Ironside, Harry Ironside was one of the greatest preachers this, this land has ever known. And when his dad died, his dad was on his deathbed, and he kept repeating that vision out of Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' vision of the, of the great sheet that comes down. And all the creatures in that great sheet. And he said, you know, and he kept repeating it from memory. He said there were four-footed creatures and there were, and he kept pausing at that. He couldn't think of the next thing. Kept trying to, trying to recite it and he, kept, he couldn't think of the next thing. And finally somebody helped him out. And they said, creeping things. He said, oh, creeping things, yes. He said, that's how I got in, creeping things. <laughs> yeah, there it is. We got to understand. We're all on the same level here. We're all on the same level. So it's that kind of humility. Now let me tell you what treating others with respect is not. And some very practical things to remember. Three practical things. Now, now quit. Number one, treating others with respect doesn't mean you never get to say what you think. It means you let them finish what they think before you start. That's a very important thing. How many of you, especially in an argument, 
Never let the other person completely finish what they want to say. They touch some hot button in you, and man, you're right in there. Oh, no, it's not like that. Oh, you're wrong about that. And they never get three words out of there before you're down their throat. Do you know how important it is, especially, listen to this, for children, to be able to completely say their side of something? And spouses would be next on the list. <laughs> to be able to say completely their side, for you to wait and say, Okay, are, are you done? I think I heard what you said. Are you done? Maybe clarify it a little bit. And then say, can I respond? That is a matter of respect. Secondly, never rest until you understand their viewpoint from their viewpoint. And at least part of you can agree with it. Now there's a tough road, isn't it? That's a tough road because you got your side, see, and unless, unless you can, can convince them of your side, then, then you've been defeated. No, that's not true. You see, only a weak argument needs to fight a straw man. A strong argument is able to consider everything and still come down on one side. Let me give you an example of this. This is a... This is a uh, uh, Kind of a provocative example, but it's but it's true. We're, we have a this weekend somebody has put a petition out in our in our lobby out there to ban uh, nude dancing from the county. Now the chances this have is anybody guess I don't know, but they they want to deliver this to the Seminole County Commissioners, and so it's out there. And so any of you want to, who live in Seminole County who want to sign it can sign it. Now let me tell you what is inappropriate in this kind of a thing is inappropriate, inappropriate to downgrade the people on the other side of this is inappropriate. Let me tell you why. Or, or, or let me take it from a personal standpoint. I don't think less of people on a human level who go into those places. I said in the last service, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd probably go into those places. But then I realized who I was married to, and I had to take it back. <laughs> but if you're not Christian... What's the deal? You know, what's the deal? I, I, don't, I don't need to down... I, I understand. Listen, I understand if you are a, a, a working girl and you don't have an education, or if you have a dependent child, how tough it is to make it economically. Man, I, my heart goes out to those girls. It really does. I understand why you'd sacrifice, you know, whatever, if it is a sacrifice to you, to go do that. I understand there's a part of me that understands that. There's a part of me, if I wasn't a Christian, if I was a non-Christian businessman, to say, what's the deal here? It's just, it's just business. It's, it's like any other business. What other business are you guys going to be against here? It's just business. I understand that. I understand for many people it's an issue of freedom. I understand that. And there's a part of me that says, well, you know, there, there needs to be the freedom, even when we don't like an idea, to be able to express it. Man, there's, part of, there's a big part of me that says, yeah, yeah. So... I understand it from that point so well that part of me agrees with those points. But treating them respectfully does not mean that I say, okay, you must be right then. Because there's another angle on this. You see, we can be so technically correct and so logically correct when we're approaching certain laws but still be 
morally bankrupt. We can, we can say there are certain things that are logically true, but forget that if we, if we in, in our society, come to acceptance of those, the rest of the society could go down the tubes. Let me give you, let me give you some examples here. I, I, as a Christian, of course, am against anything that is going to specifically promote and incite lust. I mean, that's, it's in here. It says, don't lust, and I'm not going to say, I can't, I can't, you know, allow or support anything that would have that as its business. Of course not. I can't specifically allow or incite anything that would treat women as less than people. And that's exactly the point here. I mean, even if I could believe, which I can't, even if I could believe, look, it's just, it's just some working girls who say, no big deal, and, and, you know, we just can find it in here. I know men. I are one. And I know that as I go out, do you think my lust is confined in that place? Do you think my view of women is confined to those I saw on the stage? I would have seen them on the stage. I've never seen them on the stage. I'm, uh, I'm real nervous. I probably, I probably should not have used this example knowing the recent uh, uh, newscasts here. Uh, don't worry, I haven't and I won't, okay? But what I'm saying is this. I know what that carries with it, the broader implications that that carries with it. Listen to what's happening in Japan right now. I get, an inter- I get a lot of international uh, magazines and newspapers, and none of them are Christian. They're all just reporting the news, non-judgmentally. And, w- and one of them says that in Japan right now, the big thing is that the objects of lust are schoolgirls. The prostitutes are all dressing like schoolgirls. As a matter of fact, the prime or focused age of the, uh, uh, of the object of lust right now is a middle school girl. And what is happening is that these girls, they have, their crime rate is way below ours, uh, and so their, rape, their rate of rape is way below ours also. But, but 69% of the girls who just ride the subway report being groped every day. I mean, this is just, this is just the ones that are reporting it. Now, here's the deal. I can, I can put all of those things in a category that says, yeah, You know, I understand that logically and so on and so forth. But on the other side, I see the damage to people. And it's not me, it's to our kids and our grandkids and our society. The the largest, the largest concern in this country today, according to recent polls, is the moral deterioration of our country. I mean, more people are alarmed about that than the economy, than our our national relations, than, than presidential scandals, than anything else. And I understand that. I understand that. And so when we go into these things, we say, look, this is my side of it. There's your side of it. I've got, I, I harbor absolutely no hostility, absolutely no disrespect. It's just how I see things. See? See how we do it? And, 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 and when it comes to uh, stuff like uh, um, the Ten Commandments, did you, you see all these demonstrations about the guy who wants to take the Ten Commandments, I mean, wants to keep the Ten Commandments on the, on the wall of the, of the courthouse? I go, cool. Now, when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I, I can see why you would want to erase all markings of religion in order to preserve the neutrality of the legal system. I understand that. And logically, that records, and there's a part of me that agrees with that. 
But again, we're talking about the same thing. What is a legal system without the weightier issues involved? What is a legal system that does not call people to more than legalities? What it is, is just a system of the shrewd outdoing one another. It is the essence of power, and it is the essence of moral bankruptcy. So I think to myself, man, I, I wish I'd been there, because I want the guy to go down with the Ten Commandments in his courtroom, because that's the larger picture. Well, here, here don't, don't let me get onto that. I, I, I'm, I'm almost done. The thing is, the thing here is, that we don't treat the other side with disrespect. Because that's the difference. That's the difference. And the church, I've got to be honest with you, we have pulled more power stunts and been more abrasive and more obnoxious than many of the heathen in this country. And it's got to stop. That is not the attitude of God. The attitude of God is grace. The attitude of God is when we didn't deserve it. He gave us the allowance that we needed. And when we turned to him, while we were yet sinners, he accepted us. We've got to pass that on to other people. And the third thing is, I almost fell down here. Third thing is, I'll close. I don't don't have a story here. Third thing is, give up this got to be first stuff. Listen, if, if Christ did not think a quality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Who are we to have to be first? I'm not saying if you're in an athletic event, don't, don't compete as hard as you can. But I'm saying that all of this stuff in, the, in, 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 in all of the rest of life, why can't we allow others to go first? What's it hurt? What's it hurt us to let them feel esteemed? What's it hurt us to, to allow them to be, to be honored in that way? Let's be more like Jesus. Pray with me. God, thank you that respect is not a matter of simple human decency. Respect is a matter of reflecting your great character and your great grace in our lives. Thank you that as we do that for others, that you are the one who is honored. It is your way that is brought forward. And that someday, if we do that on a consistent basis, others will realize what great grace you have for their lives, and they'll want it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.